bringing up this idea of, of going into camping and, and a lot of people would say camping is, is way too small. Um, I had someone from uh, JM Smucker say like, this is way too small of a market and, and just like other people. And I, I was never thinking about how big of a market it would be, uh, whether it's to a fault or luck. I was always more, I always just thought it was cool. Like to be to completely frank, I just thought camping is cool. I, I grew up camping. Um, and, and there's just so much good, positive energy from those types of experiences. Starting a business is hard. Creating a product that doesn't exist and people saying that there isn't a market for that product is even harder. Jeff Waguna and his brother Justin, through all the doubters, believed that there was a need for good coffee while on a hike. These two Eagle Scouts persevered and have successfully built a product and business that is now nationwide in REI, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and more. Along the way, Jeff has learned a lot about building a brand from the ground up, and we are going to break down the Kudu Coffee story so that you can learn from a successful entrepreneur. Welcome to How to Market Your DTC Brand, a show where we interview founders and marketers in the DTC space to learn about how they have grown their brands and current best practices in marketing. The show is brought to you by Goodo Studios, a photo and video creation studio that works with consumer brands to make the content that converts viewers into customers. And I'm your host, Matthew Gatozzi. Today's guest is Jeff Waguna, the co-founder and CEO of Kuju Coffee. Kuju Coffee was the first ever portable pour-over coffee brand and has pioneered high-end coffee in the outdoors and travel space. In an interview on the Fiddle podcast, Jeff said how selling a physical product is very marketing heavy and that there isn't much difference between a Starbucks and another coffee shop besides marketing and positioning. I wanted to understand how important marketing was for Jeff when he and his brother first started Kuju Coffee. Marketing is, is really, I think depending on, on your industry, can easily become the, the functional lever to whether you're going to drive outsize returns uh, within your business. So I think when you talk about tech, uh, lots of times the product itself has to be functional and can can beat uh, competitors on virtue of product effectiveness. Uh, but when you're selling a commodity uh, like coffee or you know if you're selling bananas or pomegranate juice or something, you have to have a pretty keen understanding of, of just th that it, it is a commodity. I think that's important to to recognize. Um, and I think a lot of coffee companies, especially coffee companies will, will get a little overly enamored with their coffee. Um, and, and there might be truth in fact for why they are enamored, but oftentimes the market does not see it that way. And when I speak with national chain buyers, you know, they, they've, I mean, they tell me like they see five to 10 coffee brands a week. Uh, and, and I mean that literally. So when, when you're, dealing with a market that is that saturated uh the marketing is what will give you the opportunity or not uh to actually not just stand out um but i think very importantly uh actually not just stand out and be memorable but, but actually be distinct and i think you can become memorable uh but not distinct and that's kind of like your typical like youtube short or ig reel but becoming memorable and distinct um, can build equity because because you're also therefore unique. Um, so so marketing itself 
obviously it's, it's very big it you know in, in business school it's the four p's product price promotion distribution and i think it's important to start with with product uh what your product is is the ultimate um what your product is is the ultimate positioning of what you're bringing to market uh, so as long as you understand is your product a commodity, then you understand the role that promotion, distribution, or pricing have to play. If your product is inherently unique, like you've like if you're Virgin Galactic and your product is going to space, you might not have to focus on marketing as much, right? But you still do <laughs> because people need to know why they should spend 250k or 500k for your product. So um, it, it's it's very critical. Uh, but I think within understanding its importance, there's a lot of uh, incremental components that, that become very specific to each venture. So it's very hard to, to broad stroke and say marketing is really important because it is a, such a big function to begin with. You guys kind of pioneered the travel instant coffee space, but also the outdoor space um, when it comes to, to coffee. So I, I'm curious, being one of the first people there, how did you go about marketing and building an audience when Nobody was kind of there. So there's nothing to really kind of compare it to. So how did yeah. you guys get that traction? Because that was a space that was ignored like purposefully. Yeah. Uh, and you guys kind of found a way to create something that worked like product wise, but then also marketing wise. Yeah. I, I, I do remember um, bringing up this idea of, of going into camping and, and a lot of people would say camping is, is way too small. Um, I had someone from uh, JM Smucker say like, this is way too small of a market and, and just like other people. And, I was never thinking about how big of a market it would be, uh, whether it's to a fault or luck. I was always more, I always just thought it was cool. Like to be to completely frank, yeah. I just thought <laughs> camping is cool. I, I grew up camping um, and, and there's just so much good positive energy from those types of experiences. And, and I, it's really true. Our brand story is founded by two Eagle Scout brothers who got tired of instant coffee while camping. And it's true. And it, 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 there are two really memorable experiences when you have, really this beautiful you know natural you know be, being outdoors all, all the stuff around you that look, looks amazing uh is very memorable and then when you drink something that just is terrible is it, also equally uh d disappointing uh <laughs> you, yeah and the thing is with outdoor stuff you know the tent stuff is cool the gear is cool the stoves are cool uh the cars sometimes are cool you know, you're excited about all these things even the food is cool because you're still cooking eggs but for some reason everyone was like okay with with instant um and for me it was uh just this the, the light bulb moment when my brother brought some samples of the pour over on a camping trip and he was really really excited and i just remember this excitement being so genuine and i, I figured if he had that level of excitement um other people would too um, but, but to maybe specifically answer the question, I, I think it takes a lot of courage, uh, to do it because, uh, for the first two and a half years, we were always very, very nervous because we didn't know, we, we had the inkling, my brother more so than me, that it would become a very big category. I always felt it could become successful. Um, but I didn't know if it get, if it could get really, really big. So we are national and sprouts and, and we, didn't know if it would actually pick up at Sprouts. We knew it could work at REI, but does it translate to a grocery store? Um, and we're very happy to say that it does, but it, you, we never knew. So we had to be courageous. We had to be passionate. We had to be, um, you know, have a certain amount of vision. 
Uh, and then as we moved into testing and pioneering, we had to be bold with making certain moves because there's no precedent on what it was called, what the price structure should be. Uh, should we put five in a box, 10 in a box, put them in a bag? No one knew. Uh, and being new in that sense could have been our disadvantage, but we, we tried to make sure to play it as making sure people knew we were pioneering it. And it gave us a lot of data on how to make this kind of product successful. Whereas now you have a lot of people entering, uh, they tend to be imitating some kind of component from what we do. Maybe not exactly the product, whether that's the marketing or the formatting. Uh, and when you copy or you, you're more deriv derivative, by virtue, the, the intellectual property and, and the position that you're creating is therefore derivative, which essentially means it's not ultimately unique. And so it's, it, there is a certain value to going first, but if you're going to go first, you have to have the guts to to keep at it um, and and trek. So one of our company values is be bold, chart the unknown, and it we decided to make that a value because we always wanted to keep that energy that just said, you know, we don't really care if everyone's doing this. We're just going to do this. We we honestly just it, it's not so much like it's easy to do, but but it's just this attitude of like literally we don't care. We don't care if other people are raising a lot of VC. We don't care if. Everyone's saying we should do whole beans. We, we, we're going to be bold and keep on doing things in a unique fashion because we've learned that there's a, an exciting kind of scary energy behind that. But we've also sensed that the customers feel it. It's very subtle. I'm not exactly. And, and, and we feel, and honestly, it's more fun. It, it's, yeah. it's just more fun. So we, I, I can't speak to certain things that we're doing in the marketing realm for that. but. Um, it, it does imbue into the rest of the company. Kuju Coffee started a Kickstarter campaign very early on with the goal of only raising $16,000. When I learned about this campaign, it seemed like this campaign was used as a way to test product market fit since it would be a very new category. I wanted to see how Jeff saw the purpose behind the campaign. I think a Kickstarter actually was uh, less about proving out the, the product itself. I, I think we... we had enough confidence in it. Um, but the, the filter is, as you, you know, it, it seems like you understand it, it's, it's, if you've never seen it before, it's very weird, right? Cause it's just like, it, it's almost magical. It's this flat thing that opens up coffee's already inside. It's small yeah. and it's supposed to make coffee that is, you know, especially great and all that. It's, it's essentially not believable. Even when we did it, I remember in our thank you video, my brother said, Thanks for supporting it. It's actually pretty good. And we, we, <laughs> we, it took a while to get that word actually out of our vernacular because we kept on thinking, is it actually good? Or do we just think it's good because we made it? And it wasn't until I think the first, the first retailer, whoever said, oh, this is actually pretty darn good, was uh, Alpenglow, uh, outdoor independent specialty retailer in, in Tahoe. And, and uh, they said it was good. And I, I thought, maybe maybe it is good so um so it, it wasn't so much the product we were actually trying to validate our own uh skill sets to to market something supply chain build it uh fulfill on time at the time there were a lot of kickstarters that were very popular raising 100k plus but they would be nine months late and they, i didn't want us to raise a lot of money because then we'd have to fulfill everything the goal was not a successful kickstarter the goal was um, 
early data points so that we can actually start a company. So we were able to use some of the funds also to um, pay for a trip to outdoor retailer uh, and kind of learn. And, and, and so it was, it was really cool. And I, I was pretty tired after, but uh, we learned a lot and it was just getting used to what it felt like to, to build something. It wasn't so much about the money as, as much. In, in another podcast interview, you guys mentioned something called the cliff bar strategy. And <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I would love for you to explain what the cliff bar strategy is and then how did you model that yourself in your own marketing slash just kind of getting to the market yeah. and, and building out this market? Yeah. So to, to be clear for any listeners, we, we don't actually know anything about cliff bar strategy. It's just more what we called it for ourselves and which is essentially there's this really cool outdoorsy product, uh, really love the brand. Uh, and, and it always makes you feel like you're eating this and you're going hiking on a mountain, but the reality is most people are eating it on their couch or at their work desk. Uh, and I always was fascinated with the dichotomy of the two things. And, and we understood from that, um, that, Hey, let's just start an outdoor and then we'll go from there, but really, really be focused on outdoor. And I think my brother said it, uh, and I remember this uh from from what i've heard from the company is you know, they started with a lot of bike shops and i think they were also one of the first i think i read gary the, the founder's book um uh why can't i remember the name Ra i want to say raising the bar I, I, can't, I can't remember but his book he said uh the only bar before was power bar um so they <laughs> were kind of pioneering in in, in that sense uh and, and that's really it i think we we really appreciated the Cliff Bar brand, we sense it was a, a company driven on on real values. Uh, so we wanted to build a, a company that was like that, but their focus on the outdoor branding and positioning um, is kind of what they're known for, even though the, the functional business itself, you know, you'll see Cliff Bars everywhere, uh, but no one thinks that. And I think Starbucks, as an example, does a great job. You hear Howard Schultz talking about the coffee, but, you know, they sell unicorn frappuccinos and all this stuff, and you have all the energy drinks at gas stations, that's not what comes to mind. So it was really a, a fascinating uh, marketing strategy that, that I think built a lot of the brand equity for something that was actually relatively ubiquitous. For you guys specifically, like what was your bike shop or like what was for you that thing that you guys were like, okay, we're going to target to get some early adopters and people to, to get started? Because you guys are pioneering this space, right? Specialty coffee meets outdoors meets... Yeah kind of more travel, things like that. Yeah, I, I think it's actually, the landscape's different. Um, there are a lot fewer independent companies and retailers out there just because of, uh, you know, compared to 30 years ago, uh, you didn't have the Walmart the way it is today. Uh, I, I think the small business environment is just much more difficult. So, so I think it's much harder to, and the, the CPG food startup space is much more saturated. It's I think from what I heard 30 years ago, it was really just people who love food starting food companies. But now you have a lot of companies who are, you know, VC backing food companies. So it's really a place to make money now. So it, it really changes the whole flavor. Um, so if there was any equivalent, I don't know if there's a, an equivalent to the bike shop, but, but REI has been a very strong retail partner from the very beginning. They were uh, the second retailer that we ever uh, chain took, took on. The first one was actually Sportsman's Warehouse. Um, and so we got uh, the, the hunting crowd through there, but uh, REI has been kind of the, the core to that. And, and we've been able to concentric circle grow out, out of that. So 
And so you kind of said uh, like how Starbucks, they almost, I mean, they do. They most, like most of their drinks, if you go on their menu, it's not even coffee. Like majority, like 60, 70% of it is actually not. So for you guys, like one of the things that I think is always so interesting is that you guys pretty much have like one solid product. Like you haven't gone to the whole beans. You haven't gone into any of that stuff, which is, is very interesting, but you guys have been able to expand uh, like retailers. Now you guys are in uh, central market cause I'm here in Austin. So like I've seen <laughs> you all cool. over. Yeah. So I've, I've been able to see you guys like all over the place. So as you guys are going from REI and more outdoors place to more of these bigger retailers, like whole foods, things like that sprouts, like what, how are you guys still marketing to kind of the general public, but still trying to hold on to that story of, Hey, it's just two Eagle Scouts. Yeah. We wanted good coffee. Like how do you keep that, that, that story that you started with as you're expanding your reach and your brand and, and just kind of your audience? Yeah. That's a really good question. It, I think it touches on just the life question of how do you maintain just a sense of self and what you're passionate about when, when life comes at you and you need to start making money or, you know, parents say you should do something. And, and so, uh, it's, I, I think it's, it's, um, I don't know how else to say it other than this. You just have to have a lot of nerve to just not, not care. <laughs> that, that's it. That, that's, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's it. I mean, just, uh, because the, the biggest commodity these days are brands that are in it to make money. Uh, and, and therefore, uh, I, I think you become more unique when you just could care less. I mean, it's not that I don't want us to make a lot of money. It's just more that we see the financials as, as a function towards our, our vision and our mission. Um, so our mission is to be recreated. And that's essentially, to, we want to inspire people to, it, go recreate, but so that they can be recreated. There's this kind of rejuvenating experience when you go do outdoor activities. Uh, but the vision is for Kuju to be in the pocket of every traveler in the world. And everything really has to line up to both of those things as, as much as possible. So if it doesn't, if anything that we do does not connect to inspiring people to become recreated, then it's not what we should do. Um, whole beans get really difficult in terms of inspiring that. Uh, and if it doesn't connect with getting Kuju in the pocket of every traveler in the world, whole beans has, has a tough time fitting into that as well. Um, it's, it's very hard to, to justify that you should do it. And so it's not so much that the mission and vision are, are how we do it. I think it's more that we have taken the time to really be clear with what the mission and vision really are. Uh, and we've iterated them. And once we, you lock it in, uh, you just have to say, I, you don't care if, if you guys, you guys don't, you know, and I say you guys, if there's a competitor who's doing something, it's not having concerns with the competitor. It's just having concerns about, are you being who you are, um, mm. as a brand? That's really key. And at our stage, we're lucky because we've already known or figured out that by being who we are, we can make money in the beginning, maybe you're being yourself and you're building a company that's very natural to you, but there's just no market for it. So we're not there, but we're at a stage where the more we can just be us, the more we can say, what is the Kuju version of sampling? What's the Kuju version of a blog post? What's the Kuju version, you know, even saying, what's the Kuju version of a movie? Uh, uh, what's the Kuju version of a, a set of apparel? 
those are all questions that derive from really knowing yourself. And so when you become more passionate about what you stand for, not from a political standpoint, just anything, whatever you're trying to do, what you stand for and passionate about what you think you can bring to the world over the course of the future, this is not really my concern what other people are doing. Um, and that's it. Yeah, that's that's yeah. That's it. I, the, the the caveat is is your ownership structure. If we were owned by a lot of VCs, I'd be having to deal with all those conversations mm-hmm. on a quarterly basis and and deal with this pressure. Um, we get it in other places if a certain partner wants us to do something because it benefits that function. Uh, but but again, that's also a function of we don't care. We're asking, you know, what kind of ownership structure enables us to do this in a very Kuju style. So that's kind of the ongoing question. A major part of Kuju's coffee's social media and marketing strategy is based around the Kuju moment. I wanted Jeff to explain what is the Kuju moment and how have they aligned their social media content around this Kuju moment? Yeah, so Kuju moment um, is came from, well, first off, Kuju, I haven't said this in a while, actually, is, is the words cultivate and rejuvenate put together. So it's this idea of when you drink coffee in the outdoors, you want it to be a moment that cultivates rejuvenation that was actually our mission but it's really like syllable heavy and, and hard to turn into a campaign um so that's why we turned it into uh be recreated um and so the moment is actually really simple just any kind of moment that cultivates rejuvenation and over time it became less fuzzy uh and aspirational more specific to when you're brewing the coffee uh, and when you're pouring, because we realize that when you make instant coffee, it's not really a moment or an activity in the outdoors. It's actually just like a thing that you do because it's fast. You want it fast. You don't care how it tastes. But when you're making a pour over in the outdoors, there's usually a pretty high level of intentionality uh, and a desire to experience a certain amount of craft. So we realize it is kind of a moment. Uh, and at a practical level, I remember when I was on the camping trip where we had kind of the idea, uh, I had to go to the bathroom at night. And I woke up and it was not that late. I think it was 12 o'clock in the morning, but when you're camping, the sun sets and that's how you, you stick. So, so I, I got out of the tent and I remember looking at the stars and I saw that Orion constellation was lower than usual over the uh, mesas. And, and that was just beautiful. It, I don't know because nobody else was up. And that to me was a Kuju moment. It was really memorable. And it has stuck with me to, to this day, just seeing that. And, 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 and it was in a way cha- changed my perspective. And so when we say the mission is be recreated, yeah, practically get outdoors. But when we say be recreated, a Kuja moment at its core, I think, should help inspire moments that recreate you uh, and bring you to a better, healthier, more fulfilled place. And a lot of people think about recreation or changing your life as like big, big events. Uh, But, you know, I think a lot of small events in people's lives really have a big effect on them. So I, I, I hope over time as the brand grows, uh, we'll be able to build out this Kuja moment thing and, and hopefully create moments where people are recreated over time. So that's a very fuzzy thing. We're not there yet, but um, that's kind of the heart behind it, if that makes sense. One of the things I've, I've been thinking a lot about is like this word community. And I feel like it's thrown a lot like, oh, you, you know, have a great community for like your brand. Uh, and, and I think what's hard for a lot of, you know, brands is that it is a commodity kind of like what you've said before and you have to recognize that and and you guys do but i do think when you have mission 
or a mission that, you know, somebody's really excited about, it's easy to rally behind that. And so I think for you guys, you know, one of the, you said like be recreated, right? So to get out and inspire people, this is just kind of like something you have while you're doing it, but there's some greater mission of, of encouraging people to go out, experience this amazing world that we have. So how important is it for, for your customers or for you to have people rally around like that Kuju moment to like have that experience of going out? Like, what does that mean for you as like a founder and like as somebody that's building this audience and building kind of this movement of, of being recreated? You know, it, it kind of goes back to your other question, which I, I really didn't answer the way we think about our content. Um, a lot of people think the content looks really nice. And, and I, I appreciate that. But, but the reality is a lot of our content is um, from our customers. So we, we don't we don't do photo shoots. Uh, we don't we don't really pay for a lot of content because uh, I think our customer set tends to be the people who love going out there and taking pictures and then they're excited to send it to us. Obviously, we don't get it all the time, but but we, we have enough of a community where, where that that's most of the things that you see are, are that. So I, I actually don't even have an answer to how do we think about the content? It's really just, we just said, you know what? We found out customers love sending us pictures. Let's just do that. Uh, but I, I think where that comes from is the idea, let's not be brand centric, let's be community centric. And so when we do that, I've always sensed that it builds this innate sense of some kind of community behind its brand versus it getting factored out of an agency or something. Um, so maybe that's how we think about content. Uh, and as it pertains to kind of the whole thing of people doing Kuju moments, I, I, I got to admit, we, we, it's not really our place to, to have an opinion on that because I think everyone's Kuju moment is different. Um, it, it lands in their, you know, their psyche in a different context. And I think it's really our responsibility, not, not so much to create it, uh, but to enable it. So get the product to be accessible at a price point, get the product to taste good, uh, get the product to be packaged correctly uh, and available in the right places so that people can, can do that. But I, I don't think it's our mantra to say like, hey, we need to get people experiencing Kuja moments. Uh, it's and, and that's why the mission, again, is to be recreated. It's not experience your Kuja moment. It's like get out there. And, and when you go on a hike, magical things happen that are different for everybody. And, and we just want to make sure we can play a part in probably helping people stop and take in their moment, which is, mm. makes a lot of sense with a cup of coffee. Uh, so if anything, we should probably be going out and asking people like, how have, you know, what was it like for you? And, and people will share that through their Instagram stories. Uh, and I have to admit, uh, following their Instagram stories that people tag us in is, is probably one of the most, um, I'm pretty sure I think it's the most motivating thing that we get to do. It's so, hmm. it's so cool to see like what people are using, how they're using it, when they're using it. Sometimes people use it because they their electricity ran out. Other people use it at the top of mountain where we envisioned that they would. Others are doing it at home. Uh, but it's super cool. It's it, that's really fun, and it's mostly because it's so real. That that's the thing. It's it's very organic and authentic. We're not seeding this stuff. This it just kind of comes. So so we're we're very grateful for that. As Kuju Coffee expands beyond the U.S. and the outdoor hiking market, I wanted to know if the story of Kuju Coffee changes to connect with other cultures and people. The answer is, quite frankly, probably no. 
because yeah. the idea is you don't want to be obsessed with uh, how how are we going there and and how are they going to receive us, and and that, that's definitely important. I, you know, we have both you know academy sports and, and Bass Pro, which has a lot of the hunting community as much as we have REI, uh, which would be the, the stereotypical like backpacking community, um, and and the cult those two cultures are very different. So so we are sensitive or do pay attention to how we do cross cultures within the US. Uh, but I think the biggest service that you can bring as a company to a market, again, is just being very, 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 very clearly self-defined. Um, so if we go into market, uh, we have to make sure that we know what we stand for and we can say, hey, this is who we are. If you don't like it, we'll go somewhere else. And that's totally fine. You got it. And I, I talked to customers. A customer sent us an email like today or you know, yesterday and said, I followed the directions. My friend told me this was great. I tried it and I did it twice and it was just so disappointing. Uh, it, it tasted like tea is what she said. And that's usually surprising because we, we get really high marks typically on taste. So I just I just called her and, and um, I asked her and then I, I said, well, I couldn't figure out why it wasn't good. Sometimes there's user error. I said, you know what? Uh, we'll just send you a whole bunch of products so you can keep testing until it tastes good. And if it doesn't, maybe it's not the product for you. But but you have to get to a point if you're starting a company, and this is a marketing thing, where you have enough market intelligence and understanding of your customer to be able to say, if it's not for you, then we got to go somewhere else. And if you can't do that and, and you're dealing with a sense of mediocrity, like, oh, I, I'm glad you kind of liked it all the time, uh, you're eventually going to get uh, outcompeted. You you have to get people who just love it, and quite frankly, people who think it's really stupid. And and <laughs> if it's those two, then you're good. You know that's. Uh, I, I have a lot of stories behind different brands that are like that, but but I've never. You know, there are people who love love um, Patagonia, and other people would think it's just like this crazy hippie thing. It doesn't make any sense, and therefore they're smaller than the North Face. But so what? Like. Like they're not that yeah. much smaller, you know? So I, I don't know. It, it's, it's really more about what are you bringing to the table? Be clear. Um, give people the comfort of, of being able to say whether they like you or not. If you're unclear with what you stand for, what you're offering, what you're trying to price, you actually put people in this position where they also feel unclear because they're saying, what, is, what are you trying to sell? What, what is this for? And that's the feeling of ambiguity. And typically, anxiety and, and stress comes from ambiguity. So when you can provide clarity through your product and business operation, you're therefore giving people, actually, you're serving them by giving them an opportunity to continue to be clear with themselves. Uh, and then you're also being financially efficient because you'll find out very quickly if they're your customer or not. So to finish off our, uh, our interview, we're going to do a few quick fire questions. Sure. What is one tech company in the e-commerce space that you've been a fan of lately? Maybe you use them or you're just a fan of them or maybe they've helped your business. Yeah, I I would, um, this is gonna be a weird, there, there's a lot of new tech products out there. Um, I would say I am a big fan, for purposes of this podcast, I'd, I'd actually give a boring answer, which is Shopify. Uh, and it's like, why, That's why the hell? Come on. And I, I think it. I say that because if you think about Shopify, you have to understand the, the marketplace impact a company like that is, if they're successful, will have on, on businesses in general, which basically means everyone can start an e-commerce business, right? 
So if everyone can do an e-commerce business, you have to really think hard about what that means about what you think is your special D2C business, which essentially means it's not that special, right? Because everyone could do it. And, and I think that that is the question. When Shopify was very new, uh, I, I don't even know how long, maybe like 10 years ago now, um, it was unique. But Shopify, you know, people are talking about D2C strategy, but, but everybody is. And, and the mantra of, of business is uniqueness and to zig when other people zag. So, so I think there's to, to take Shopify and their, their presence as kind of a mainstay and to call it a boring answer is almost why I think it's very fascinating because there was a day when Shopify was like really innovative. Um, so anyone listening, I just, I would just think about that a lot. Like, what does it mean to really do a DTC business today? And, and I, yeah, I think we're at the tail end of that first, first or second wave. Yeah. What is a brand that you've been just excited about outside of Kuju? Cause yeah. we know that you're excited about there, but like what, what, like what brand are you excited about? Maybe it's their marketing. Maybe it's the product itself that you're just passionate about. I'd probably say t targets uh, private label clothing brand. <laughs> be okay be because hey. uh it's straightforward it's consistent it's it's low price i'm not sure how good how sure how good it is for the environment but uh as a person i'm i'm very um i'm pretty no frills so if it's straightforward mm -hmm. and i can handle it the second to that i'd probably say uh uh like steinway i'm a jazz pianist for fun so i care about that but okay. outside of that i think brands are uh constructs of marketing so it's actually a weird Thing for me to say a brand is is a favorite but uh yeah that's yeah. it i finished the podcast off with a segment called open mic this is a chance for my guests to share anything they want a lot of times i feel like people get stuck behind the industry that they are in but we are all human and have other interests outside of that so this is a space for my guests to say whatever they want to say if i were to say anything i'd say uh you know, starting a company and kind of building it is absolutely nothing like what it looks like on the outside. Um, it's it's grueling. It's difficult. It's it's full of uh, major ups and downs. It, it wreaks havoc on um, your personal life if you don't manage it. I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs have experienced, uh, you know, divorce. If you look at kind of their uh, stories and if you don't hear it, it's either very well managed um, or or they put a lot of energy into it. So I think it's very easy to do an interview and, and kind of try to make the company look great, but it, it's equally important to say there's, there's a lot of work and, and, and strain uh, that goes behind it. And I'll give one example. Uh, I was about to go uh, on a, a weekend trip with my family on Friday at four o'clock. And then at three o'clock, our Instagram account got hacked um, and we were completely locked out. So I had to, you know, kind of work on this for about two, three hours and try, try to figure out what, what are the plans? What if we can't get it back? Who can I contact to help get this set straight? Uh, and I had to get myself mentally to a place where I could also be present with my family over the weekend uh, and, and not be working because the whole plan was to not work over the weekend and come back Monday. And then we came back Monday, we were able to get it fixed, long story short. But if you just think about that, there's a lot of mental strain between the idea of getting hacked on a Friday afternoon and then being able to not push towards obsessing about it over the weekend, spend time with your family, be relatively mindful 
and then come back Monday and go back worrying about it. I couldn't sleep Sunday night because I was not sure what was going to happen on Monday. <laughs> but but that's kind of what it's like. That that's that that's a very much an anecdote um, of what it's like. So anyone listening, I, I just I think one of the things behind the mission is 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 just this idea of just being transparent, not trying to make people feel. I, I hate companies that talk about how successful they are and they they therefore make other companies or people falsely aspirational. Um, it's really the idea not about pursuing success, or, but how can you be true to yourself and ensure that your work becomes an expression that is as close to the accurate expression of what you believe as possible. And if you do that, there will be a market. You don't know how big it is, but and you'll also be happier. So th- those are, <laughs> I, guess, I don't know what that's a thought, but that's definitely, I think, an important story. I would, I would probably want someone to hear. So there you go. This conversation with Jeff inspired me to build brands that stand for a mission and take bold action. You can follow Kuju Coffee on Instagram at Kuju Coffee, and there will be more information about Kuju Coffee linked in the show notes. Thank you, Jeff, for being on the show. If you like this podcast, drop a rating on Apple Podcasts or your podcast listening app. And if you really love this show, please share this episode with a friend. Thank you in advance.